I love that. My name is Telus Fuller. I'm the youth pastor here on staff, and I want to welcome everybody that's watching online. I'm happy to see a fuller room just like last week. Everybody, if it's your first time in the building, just want to raise your hand real quick. Anybody's first time? Come on now. Let's go. Everybody's first time in the building. Man, we are so happy to have you guys here. Um, we are opening our doors again, everybody. We're preparing for people to come back in the building, and we can't wait for you online to join us as well. Well, last week, what we did is we talked about uh, doubt, doubting Thomas specifically. And this week, we're not going to talk about something so uh, scary as doubt. We're going to talk about something as encouraging as faith today. We're going to talk about faith today. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, verse 24. And while I'll give you time to go there, it is Campus Sunday, and I want to encourage and just reiterate what Garrison was talking about, because the campus really is our planting ground and our reaping field, that we are both going to the campus, sending from the campus, and reaping from the campus. Um, Garrison mentioned that Pastor Dad was uh, saved on the campus, that he was reached on the campus, and my story was a little different. I felt called on the campus. That's when I answered the call to ministry was on a college campus, and specifically was at a college campus conference. And Every Nation Campus Ministries, I uh, owe so much to them because that ministry is one that invested in me and changed my life forever and for the better. They were faithful to what Jesus asked them to do so I could be faithful to do what Jesus asked me to do. So I encourage you guys, um, get involved, whatever that looks like. If you can't go on the campus, maybe you can give to the campus. Um, So I'm really excited for Campus Sunday, and I'm repping my school, best school in the nation, VCU. Go Rams. Let's go. Okay. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, verse uh, 24 through 30. Matthew 14, verse 24 through 30. It's a famous story. You guys probably know it. You could probably read it for me, but we're going to read it together. It says, verse 24. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. A iconic story in the Bible. What I want to title this message this morning is Wave Walker. Wave Walker. We're going to talk about a great trouble, a great hope, and a great faith. A great trouble, a great hope, and a great faith. Will you pray with me real quick? Father, we love you so much. God, I'm asking that you would keep on moving like you started this morning. Spirit, would you come and rest on this place and speak through me? Open our eyes and our ears to see and hear everything that you want to speak. Father, we love you. Show yourself. Make yourself known to us. We need your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This story right here is one that even if you haven't been in church, you've probably heard of before, is Peter and Jesus walking on water. And this story comes on the heels of Jesus doing 
so many other miracles. And in Matthew's gospel, we see that Jesus is seen as this coming Messiah to the Jews, that he's coming to save them from their problems. And what the Jews believed that the Messiah would be was this savior who was going to deliver them from Rome, who was going to be this uh, governmental, maybe military figure who is going to physically, literally save them from their oppressors. Maybe someone similar to David. They loved David. David, <clears throat> excuse me, was this iconic king who was everything that they wished and thought that Jesus would be, or this coming Messiah. And Jesus comes in a different way because this isn't like an earthly kingdom, but he comes to establish the kingdom of heaven, which is this upside down kingdom, this last shall be first and the first shall be last, this I came as a servant, that Jesus came to die, that he wasn't coming to rule in a physical, uh, governmental, military way, but more to come and win everybody back that the enemy had stolen. Jesus was coming in a different way than how they thought. And here... Right before we get to the moment where they're walking on the water, the Sea of Galilee, we see that Jesus and his disciples go and have another iconic moment of the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus goes out and he's preaching. Everybody knows who he is. And all of a sudden, people are gathering and he doesn't want to send everyone away because they didn't have enough food. The disciples are like, man, you just got to send them. It's getting late. And Jesus is like, well, why don't you feed them? He says, well, we have no fish. And then the iconic five loaves, uh, he gives them these, this, this food, this little amount of food, right? He gives them the food. All of a sudden, he feeds 5,000 men, and then there are 12 baskets left over, this amazing miracle. And then as soon as Jesus does this miracle, Jesus goes up into the mountain, and he says, hey, disciples, you go across the sea, and I'll meet you on the other side. He sends the disciples into the sea. He goes up to pray on the mountain. Now, the Sea of Galilee, what this really sea was like, it was, it was, it was like a basin, so there was water in the middle and hills or mountains surrounding this sea. And as these disciples were spanning across the sea, Jesus went up to the mountain to be alone and to pray as he often did. As the disciples get out to sea, it's late in the night, and we'll talk about what that means, the fourth watch. It gets late in the night, and all of a sudden, they're beaten by the winds and the waves. They are terrified. Some of them, professional fishermen, are terrified. And then all of a sudden, they see this figure walking out in the water to meet them. They think it's a ghost. They actually, he says that, no, it's actually me. Peter has this moment of, Jesus, if it's really you, come, let me do it. Sees the waves, falls. He says, Lord, save me. Jesus saves them. They walk away happily ever after, right? This story, every time I think about it or thought about it prior to this moment was, I thought about this story as a great moment of, of, of a great miracle for God. I thought of this moment as this story of walking on water is about God doing great miracles. And ever since I was studying this passage, I really more so think that it's a story as well as a miracle, but God not just doing great miracles, but God saving us from great trouble. That yes, we see a great miracle, but the great miracle is in the midst of a great trouble. What dad always says is everybody wants a miracle, but no one wants the circumstances needed to make it happen. That we see this miracle happen of walking on water, but really Jesus is showing himself to the disciples, specifically in the way where he is Lord of nature. 
We see that he is Lord of all things natural. He, he breaks this, this few, this, this, this little bit of food and multiplies it for 5,000. And also he takes this moment to walk and command and correct nature. I don't see in this story just a miracle. I see a really caring God who goes and helps his friends who are in trouble. I want to encourage you, just like Matthew wants to encourage his readers, to stand strong in opposition so that we can see Jesus clearly as our Messiah. And just as much as Jesus was showing himself as the God of miracles, he's also showing himself as the God over troubles. A great trouble is what we see in Matthew chapter 14, verse 24 and 25. And when I see this story... Really what I'm understanding here is that when Jesus goes up to the mountain, he's alone to pray. He sends his disciples into the sea. They are beaten, it says in the text, by the winds and the waves. And the winds and the waves we see right here are not just a a, a moment or an inconvenience, but what they really signify, they really signify is your troubles in life. You ever feel like you've been beaten up? This year, it might be really easy for a lot of us to say that. I feel like I've been beaten up by the winds. I feel like I've been pushed by the waves. I feel like the wind is at my face and the, wind, and the, and the waves are crashing against me and I don't know how I'm going to keep going on. Everywhere I look, it's another anxiety. Everything that I hear, it's another scary story, another scary t- statistic. I keep trying to figure out where is God. Maybe like Garrison's exhortation was about where are you, God? I keep trying to figure out what is my place and where I'm at. God, when is this going to be over? All these troubles flood into our minds and we are beaten by the winds and the waves of life. Our kids are a wreck. Our our marriages are suffering. We see that our jobs are failing. We see that the country is going in the wrong direction. We see that people are in unhealthy places and unhealthy spaces. We see that maybe we can't even gather like we used to. Maybe you want to be at church and you can't. Everything you see is a trouble. And this is exactly where the disciples are. And maybe some of you are like, I feel like the disciples here that God maybe even sent me into this. That I feel like God is on a mountain and I'm in a storm. That God is up here and I'm down here. And God, do you really even care about me? God, where are you? What what are you really doing up there? And we know that Jesus lives to ever intercede on our behalf, but that's not very comforting when we're in the moment, right? I believe that Jesus, when he was on that mountain, he was thinking about the disciples, I believe that he was praying for the disciples. I believe that he had his eye on the disciples the whole time. We see a great trouble that the disciples go through. And specifically, not just that they were beaten by the winds and the waves, the problems of life, but actually that this was the fourth watch of the night. Now, in the Roman military, what this really meant was that the fourth watch of the night, there were one, two, three, four watches in the night, and each watch consisted of a three-hour time span to which you were supposed to watch and keep a lookout. So when we see the fourth watch of the night, what this meant is that the time in which they were suffering and Jesus appears to them on the water is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So that means that when Jesus sent them away, they had been battling for hours They had been beaten by the waves for hours. They have been struggling for hours. They have been maybe hoping that something would come and save them for hours. And Jesus has been watching them for hours. 
Maybe you feel like, God, I like, I've, I've seen you do a miracle before, but it's been a long time since my last breakthrough. You, I feel like, God, you've, you've been away from me for hours. Maybe for you it's been months. Maybe for you it's been years. I, I, I'm in a great trouble, God. I'm in a great trouble. We are seeing the disciples in the midst of their trouble between the hours of 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. pitch black outside. They don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, we see the story is about to take a different turn. But what we need to know is that when we want to be a wave walker, walk on the troubles of life, when God is trying to help us get to a different place in our faith, when life is darkest, it's not time to forget Jesus. It's time to find Jesus. It's really easy to forget Jesus in a time and to say, I'm going to take my worry and take my trouble. And God, you know what? Okay, you can have it. Okay, I'm taking it back, right? We, we, give, we, give our, we give our worry to you. Ever been like that? You give your worry to God for a moment and you're like, all right, God, I'm going to trust you with that relationship. I'm not even going to... Just gonna keep an eye on it though. Like, I'm not gonna touch it. I'm just gonna make sure that you do what I really wanted you to do with it when I gave it to you in the first place. Like, I'm gonna give you my kids, but I'm just gonna make sure that you treat my kids and raise my kids and, and deliver my kids back better than how I gave them to you. And I'm gonna give you my job or I'm gonna give you my money. God, I promise you, I'm gonna go to church every single week. I know I'm gonna go to small group. I'm, I know I'm gonna tithe all the time. And we, we, we give these little things to God in moments, but then all of a sudden we just forget God because of our trouble. We forget him. Just like the disciples, maybe in this moment, we forget that Jesus is actually with us. And in this moment, it's in your greatest moment of trouble, when life seems like it's at its darkest, it is not the time for you to forget Jesus. It's time for us to press in and time for us to find Jesus. The funny part of the story is that the disciples had eerily been in a similar situation before. If you remember a few chapters ago in Matthew chapter 8, we can't go there right now, but the disciples actually were sent across this same place and had a similar storm, and Jesus was similarly far away. If you remember, Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side. Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples, and all of a sudden, Jesus goes under the boat, and he starts what? Sleeping, right? And Jesus starts sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And all of a sudden, the disciples are like bailing water, freaking out. And what do they do? They come to Jesus. They say, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus wakes up, probably annoyed, wiping the sleep out of his eye. He's like, Shh. right? He just walks away. And he just leaves. And the disciples are like, what just and, and the disciples' response is, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. This happened before Peter and Jesus walking on water. Have you ever thought about that? That they had been in a similar situation before? This wasn't their first time in trouble on the sea, feeling like Jesus was far away. What I'm gathering from what Matthew and Jesus are trying to convey in this story is that we cannot let our troubles outweigh our testimonies. Our past troubles seemingly are always heavier than our past testimonies. They carry so much weight. They, they, they weigh us down sometimes. I can remember all the times I failed way more than all the times that God came through. Or maybe you're like me. I can remember all the times I failed way more than all the times I succeeded. 
It's way easier for me to remember the things I got wrong than the things I got right. It's way easier for me to remember the things that, that I was disappointed by rather than the things that I was actually encouraged with. But the thing is, is that when we see this, we know that Jesus doesn't always show up when we want him to, but he always shows up on time. Always. And we might be begging God, I need you right now. And God is saying, well, if I came right now, you wouldn't learn the lesson in faith that I'm trying to get you at the end of this trial. If I let you go right now, if I took you out right now, if I did it right now, you would miss out on who I'm actually purposing for you to be. And the trouble can oftentimes outweigh the testimony. And what I really think that Jesus is saying here is when you are in trouble, this is important, when you are in trouble, Jesus is saying, I am here. I am here. Whenever you are in trouble, I am here. That encourages me that we have a God who cares for our troubles, who is compassionate towards our troubles. And when we see the troubles of our lives and then we move on into the story, what we see is that Jesus actually comes walking on the waves. He's a wave walker. He walks on these waves. And, and it's not just this feat of him doing a miracle. This is why I think it's way more than a story of just miracles, but a story of a God who is here with us. Why? Because Jesus here isn't just walking on waves. He's walking on their worries. He's not just walking and doing a really cool thing. Jesus is walking on the very thing that they are worried about. Jesus is walking on your kids. You might take that and be like, yeah, he is. That's not what I meant. I meant that he is actually having authority. He's in charge, that he knows what to do, that he's not worried. It's not overtaking him. He is overtaking it. God is walking on top of your worries. And when the disciples see this, this, this moment what they think about is that they think it's a ghost. And he came to them walking on the water. And, and it's this encouragement that Jesus is trying to give them that Jesus has authority over your problems. That Jesus is actually in control. And Jesus actually is not worried. He's not trying to scramble and coming up with a plan. But in a great trouble, we see Jesus coming and walking on their worries. That trouble then leads to a great hope. If we want to be a wave walker, we need to have a glimpse of God and a word from God. We're going to need a glimpse of God and we're going to need a word from God. Why? We see here in the story that Peter obviously had a relationship with Jesus. He'd been through him, been with him in so much. They'd experienced so much together. And we have chapters and chapters of Peter just, just being this courageous knucklehead that I, everybody can probably see a little bit of themselves in. And we see Peter and Jesus' relationship. And, and, and Peter, Peter saw this moment and he says, okay, Jesus responds and says, hey, it's me. Take heart. Do not be afraid. Peter, in this moment, he saw something faint. He thought it was an apparition. He thought it was a ghost. He saw something faint and heard something familiar. When we get to the point where we are at the end of our greatest trouble, we need to have a great hope that follows it. 
And that great hope needs to be informed by the presence of God and the word of God. If we are trying to live in this hope, create a hope or manifest a hope in and of ourselves, in and of a circumstance, in and of a country, in and of a plan, in and of a solution, we are always going to be disappointed. But we need a a faint, faint glimpse of God and a faint word from God in order to have a great hope, which leads to a great faith. He had this moment where he he said, I think I know who that is. I'm pretty sure I know who that is. In, in that voice, I've heard that voice before. It's interesting because in this way, Jesus says here, he didn't say, hey, it's Jesus. He said, hey, it, it is I. Now, Jesus had introduced himself to people, not yet, but he will as Jesus. Remember Saul who uh, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, who his name was changed to Paul. He said, actually, it is I, Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. So Jesus wasn't uninterested in introducing himself as Jesus, but he knew that there was a relationship between him and Peter. Why did he take advantage of that relationship between him and Peter? Why? Because he said, I'm going to actually call you to another level of faith by which in the way that I call you. What if there is a faint sound that you hear in your life and you're saying, man, that doesn't, I don't know. It's not that clear. I wish that he would just give me a shooting star and writing in the sky that says, hey, it's Jesus. Go take this job. Go do this with your kids. Go figure this out and your life will be perfect. But what if God is actually giving you a faint sound because of your relationship with him? What if he's saying, hey, it's, it's me. It's, it's, it's me. And you're like, wait, who is it? No, no, no. It's me. You know who it is. It's me. Maybe some of us in this room need to know that, no, it's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. We, we need a faint, a, a, a faint glimpse of God and a word from God. And then this is the important part because Peter doesn't just do this by himself. He doesn't say, oh, Jesus, and runs out of the boat and just starts swimming to Jesus. He needs a word from God before he can take that step in faith for God. He takes this moment where he sees this thing that he, he might know, he, he might understand. He, he says, I'm pretty sure this is God. God, I have faith and I trust you that this is you. And I must remember that Jesus, that Peter might have remembered chapter eight in this moment. He's like, wait, I've been in a storm before. And, 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 and Jesus was, 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 was doing something amazing in that storm. And there's a guy, and I'm in a storm again in the same place. And there's a guy, and he's doing a crazy thing in a storm again. What if this is him? And I wonder, can we look back that well? Can we remember that well? To say, I, I remember when God did this. I remember a moment when God was faithful there. I remember God's history and my testimony with my God. And maybe, just maybe, that this is him. There was a great hope that God was doing something with Peter. And lastly, a great faith. It says in verse 29 and 30, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water, he said. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. As I close, if Darian can come up, I see a beautiful moment of great faith in Peter here. 
after this great trouble. And what I notice here is that faith in Jesus will take you to places that you've never been before. And trust in Jesus will keep you there. Faith in Jesus will take you to places that no one has ever been before and trust in Jesus will keep you there. Peter had this moment where he saw Jesus. He saw a faint sign and something he remembered from his history with God and said, I think I know who that is. And he ends up saying, I'm going to take this step of faith. I'm going to step out onto the water, do something that no one has ever done before, and I'm going to come and walk on water with my Lord. And then we see in this next moment that, that Peter has this moment where and we, we all know he takes his eyes off Jesus and he sinks in the water. And we're like, Peter, what happened? You were doing so good. Like, you, you, you were right there. Like, you did the hard part. And, and I'm really wondering, I'm like, did he do the hard part? Did, did he? This is what Peter did. He said, but what happens when you're on top of the waves? What happens when you're in the fire? What happens when you have to trust God for your marriage? What happens when you have to trust God for your kids? What happens when you have to trust God to come through with the money? What happens when you have to trust God that he's going to heal your family? What happens when you have to trust God that he's going to bring somebody to Christ? What happens when you have to trust God beyond your abilities? What happens when God calls you valiant warrior and you're hiding in a wine press like Gideon? And you have, to, you have to stand on the, in, in the middle of your troubles. It never said that the winds and the waves died down. What happens when you have to stand in the middle of your troubles? Peter had the faith to step on the water, but he didn't have the faith, the trust to stand on the water. And Peter is the second person ever to walk on the water. And I always admired Peter because of this, because if, if, if I were in this situation, I, I would have I, I been like Bartholomew or something. The disciple that nobody mentions and the disciple who's probably just chilling in the boat, probably one of the dudes crying and screaming. I would not have been Peter. I would have loved to have been Peter, but I probably wouldn't have been Peter. I would have been one of the like, no-named disciples. And some of you are probably like, Barth, you see a disciple? Yeah, read your Bible. Yes. And we see that Peter had this moment, that, and I admire him because he had this great step of faith. And Peter, when he sinks, we always judge him, and we look at him, and we laugh at him. But Peter didn't have an irrational fear of water. I think Peter had a respectful fear of water. We know that water is one of those powerful things, forces in nature. And, and Peter probably knew that. Peter was a fisherman. Peter understood. He probably had issues in the water, probably had friends who he had lost on that sea, had been in a lot of storms in that moment. So he wasn't unfamiliar. And this wasn't even an irrational fear. And Peter's standing on this water and, 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 and he sees these winds and these waves. And, and what I see is that this makes the story. This point right here makes the story Jesus coming and walking on the waves because sometimes your peace can't come from your waves getting smaller. It can't. Your peace can't come from your waves getting smaller. 
Jesus wants to show himself as Lord and Messiah of your troubles. And if he seemingly and merely shrinks your troubles, he also in a way shrinks himself. And God is saying, I'm not going to lower your level of faith. I need to raise it. And what if God is not shrinking your winds and your waves because he wants to show you that he's the God who stands on top of the winds and the waves? What if your God is not the God who shrinks your winds and your waves because he wants to show you that he's bigger than them? That he's greater than them? And if he shrunk your troubles, he would shrink your faith. And God is calling you to another level of faith. He's calling you to be a wave walker. To stand on the winds and the waves. To stand in the middle of a pandemic. To still have faith when everybody says don't. To still stand when you're the only one in your family. To still believe when everything says don't. To hope against hope. He's calling you to great faith. And Peter in this moment is the one guy who has a, has a great faith. And, and, and Jesus stands on the water and, and it's this beautiful thing. And, and the last beautiful thing that I see in this moment is that actually some of us are submerged in what God has called us to stand on. God said, go step on the water and we're drowning in it. We're sinking. We're, we're, we're taking breaths and gasps of air. And and Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and and he finds himself submerged in the very thing that he was called to stand on. In this moment of uncertainty, the the, the kicker for me is this moment. This, this, This microcosm of the human soul is what we see is that Peter in one moment has this moment of uncertainty, right? And a lot of us might see uncertainty in faith and spirituality and following Jesus as a bad thing, but I don't think uncertainty is a bad thing. It's what you do with that uncertainty that makes the difference. Why? Because look, look at this, look at this, that Peter in this moment, he had this, 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 this case study of the human soul where he saw a glimpse of God. He saw something he had a great hope in what he believed to be God. And he took a step on the water in the middle of uncertainty. He wasn't sure that that was Jesus. He had a great hope that that was Jesus. And in one moment of uncertainty, Peter chose faith. And in the very next moment, we see Peter in the very next moment of uncertainty, when he sees the winds and the waves, what does Peter do? Peter chooses fear. Uncertainty is not bad. Uncertainty is a breeding ground for worry or for faith. It's a breeding ground. It's soil. Uncertainty is the soil in which God is going to grow your faith. And Peter, my dad, loves gardening. You guys probably know that. And, and, and he always spends time picking weeds, right? And he's taking weeds out of the garden and, he, and he's trying to plant fruit in the garden. Things that he wants to grow, he plants. And things that he wants to die, he takes up. And, and I see him doing this all the time. And, and I noticed one thing is that he never plants weeds, but they always grow. Like, he's not, he's not trying to create competition for his fruit. Somehow the weeds just spring up. And, and, and sometimes I think that our, our, our lives are, are similar to, to my dad's garden. Because what? Weeds and fruit need the same thing to grow. Soil. 
Worry and faith need the same thing to grow, uncertainty. In one moment of uncertainty, Peter chooses faith to step onto the water. And in the very next moment of uncertainty, when he sees the winds and the waves, Peter chooses fear. This is a story of saying, I'm not going to get rid of my uncertainty. I'm going to leverage my uncertainties for the glory of God. I'm going to see God do a miracle in my uncertainty. And I'm not going to despise my uncertainty. I'm not going to despise my troubles. I'm not going to push this off and say, God, this is not for me. This is too difficult. But I will trust God and say, this uncertainty is the soil in which my fruit of faith will actually grow. Peter was a wave walker. He took advantage. And I want us to be encouraged today, this Sunday, that uncertainty is your breeding ground for worry or for faith. Don't try and get rid of it and don't try and be so sure. (laughs) Don't try and be so sure. This uncertainty is a moment that Jesus used to take Peter to another level of faith. And when we are combated and faced with another moment of uncertainty, I want to encourage you, church, see it as an opportunity for God to do a miracle. See it as an opportunity for God to be the Messiah, the Lord, the King, the God of your trouble. Because that's exactly who he is, and that's exactly who he wants to show himself to be to you. Will you pray with me? God, we love you so much. We're so thankful for the gift of grace. God, would you take us deeper to be able to believe you and trust you, to know you and to love you, to remember you and to cherish you, to be a wave walker, to know that you are the God of our troubles as well as you're the God of our